This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Oh, Americas, you are in luck. We have a toy expert who's better than anybody. We have with us today, James Zahn, who's the senior editor of The Toy Book, and he's editor of The Toy Report. And he, I'm hoping, can tell us the top toy trends of 2020. Hello, James. Hey there. Happy to be here again this year. Um, It has been a year, but uh, when it comes to toys, it's been a really, really good year. Really? I mean, COVID's been good for toys? You know, if you back things up to March, April, when the pandemic was really taking hold here in the U.S., uh, the toy industry was taken aback because the initial response from toy makers was that, hey, everything's going to be shutting down. And uh, there were some projections. People were, everybody pulled back their guidance, basically, on all of their financials. And there was this assumption that we were going to hit summer and have these catastrophic drops, 25%. uh, Funko thought they were going to be 60% in the hole. And then something unexpected happened. And that was families started to reconnect with one another. They started to have basically this gift they didn't have before, which was a gift of time. And families began playing together again. And the toy industry ended up seeing just gigantic numbers all year, all year long. But it's gone in waves as far as what people are buying Mm. and uh, how the play patterns have gone. So what we saw. Uh, Wait, wait, let me me just recap what you just said, because that sounds so interesting. First of all, you're coming here and when everybody else is in gloom and doom, you're telling us this has been good for the toy industry because families are reconnecting. I mean, that is like, I just want to sit in that meeting. <laughs> that is such a nice thought. Yes. You know, yes. that's really great. So yes. that's your first point. And it just makes me really happy to hear. Yes. Um, the second thing, though, is you're saying that there's ways and it's come and gone in different, in, different way, in different ways. Is that what you're saying now? Yeah. So... When we saw that first round of uh, lockdowns and shelter in place or stay at home order, it was different depending on what state you live in. Uh, Things went in these waves. So the first thing we saw was games and puzzles. So we're Ah. talking... Yes. March, April. Me a Copa, yes. I got to say. <laughs> yes. And yes. the last couple of years, games and puzzles had taken off with a millennial audience that mm. was these younger folks in their 20s, maybe early 30s, that were essentially playing these at pubs. You know, there were there were gaming mm. bars. Is that where up. they got them? They got them at bars. I they, didn't were, know they were popping up in New York and Chicago mm-hmm. and L.A., mm-hmm. And uh, people were Instagramming, playing games and puzzles and things. But then this year, as things locked down and, you know, that first wave of closures, we saw all of these so-called non-essential retail. Yeah, March, um, April, May. Yep. Getting getting squashed there. The, the beneficiaries of that ended up being your big boxes of the world. So, of course, Walmart and Target, Amazon. Um, other regional super center chains like Meyer in the Midwest, Fred Meyer on the West Coast, places that were selling groceries that also had toy departments mm-hmm. that were able to get 
around the whole what's essential, what's non-essential. So mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, they're going out and they're they're getting the groceries and then they're swinging by the toy department on the way out and they're grabbing a new board game or a puzzle that the family can play together. So that was wave one. And then as the weather started getting better, we started seeing outdoor play because all of the activities, baseball, karate, dance, all that uh, stuff was getting canceled. So it became, hey, how can we make our, you know, fenced in yard a fun place that the family can play together? And we saw going going to the the bare minimum, like classic play as stripped down as you can, like wiffle ball bats and things. Have you heard of pickleball? Pickleball? Yeah. That doesn't sound like something that uh, is like my <laughs> Chicago area thing. Pickleball is apparently this new trend. It's like a big outdoor version of ping pong almost. It's a racket game. Ah, that's one that hasn't really crossed mm-hmm. my radar. Oh, really? But, yeah. um, I think it's on the West Coast, really big on the West Coast. How, how, about, how about birdie golf? What's yeah. birdie golf? So you, get, so you get like a, uh, it looks like a little golf club, um, almost like a plastic driver. But the you've got a golf ball that has a birdie on it, like a shuttlecock, like a mm-hmm. like you're playing mm-hmm. badminton. Mm-hmm. So you can uh, you can play the game in your backyard, and it's like you're hitting it across the backyard, but it's not going to fly into your neighbor's yard. I guess the COVID pandemic sort of thing really has led us to this this and this is true, right, Barbara? This this need to connect. I mean, we really want to just kind of be around each other and, and do something fun that has nothing to do with you know all of the the, the doom and gloom. Uh, the political environment, all this chaos is just like, you know, we want to be kids again. Is this true, James? And so there's a kind of energy that's there that the toy space is actually able to pick up on and actually leverage. Right, James? That is true because there's so many different ways to connect. And we're seeing it in sort of an analog sense with the with the games and everything and the puzzles. And we're seeing it again with like the board games and things. And then there's also kind of a a reversal in the the folks that have been spending and their kids, especially spending so much time on screens that you want to start having them play, but learn, but it's screen free learning. But then these activities that people can do together at home, and then it sort of morphs into this thing where all these different elements are at play together. And we see a lot of that cross-generational element come back into it, which the the cross- Cross-generational play is something that's really been growing like the last five years or so, and there are no signs of this slowing down. And a prime example, like this year was like the 35th anniversary of Back to the Future. Ah, nice. And then, so that's a movie that kids that saw it 35 years ago, or maybe even grandparents, (laughs) are experiencing it with their kids and passing that on. But then- Playmobil did a Back to the Future DeLorean set and some figures, and they even did an advent calendar, or as some folks prefer to call it, a countdown calendar with little Back (laughs) to the Future uh, fun things to open throughout December. And then Funko and I think it was Ravensburger also did um, games. They they did Back to the Future games, so we're back to the board game thing and the card games. And that's a property that's three and a half decades old that generations have experienced and now they're experiencing it in a new way and they're either playing with it in that physical tangible sense with the toys 
or they're playing the game and they're sitting around the kitchen table and they're enjoying it. So that is really cool. And I wonder, James, what have you seen in terms of video games? Video games are absolutely incredible. And uh, we actually here this week, we just got the November numbers, which were just gigantic. The U.S. video game market just coming out of November was up 35% year over year over 2019. And then 2020 year to date through uh, November, you're up like 22% more people than ever and and we're talking all ages from kids to even seniors all different ages in each each like sort of 10 year gap they are all getting into the game in different ways between mobile and consoles extreme things like call of duty warzone which is this multiplayer thing that you can play cross platform Earlier this year, 60 million people had already logged on to that within the first couple of months. And now we're at this new console generation. The cycle is about to begin again. And traditionally, ahead of a new console launch, uh, the game systems are down. But because so many people have been at home again and playing... Uh, It was an up year before the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X hit stores. So those are doing gigantic business. They're extraordinarily hard to find. There's an entire secondary market where people are flipping them or scalping Uh them, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, Nintendo Switch, still the best-selling console of the year. And that's a three-year-old system, but it is very, very family-friendly. Mm-hmm. Eight people could play yeah. at one time. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot to be said for that. So the different consoles sort of appeal to different markets. A really hot show on HBO is The Queen's Gambit, which was all about chess. Have you yep. seen a resurgence in chess and all of that going on as a result of that show? I have. I actually I, I wrote an article about that that I shared on my LinkedIn, and I I sort of uh, pulled from an from an old song, and I said, "Let's talk about chess, baby." <laughs> because, uh, yeah, the Queen's Gambit is uh, driving. I mean, Google searches for, for chess was up hundreds of percents. Um, all of these different companies have been selling out on traditional tr- uh, chess games. And then uh, sort of a serendipitous timing. There's a company called Winning Moves that came out with a new version called No Stress Chess, which, I mean, <laughs> chess can be chess can be a very complicated game to learn and the no stress chess actually comes with action cards that shows you the pieces and shows you how to move it and comes with a board that on one side has graphics that show how the the pieces can move but then you can flip it over and play traditional chess so that is something where um, grown-ups that didn't learn to play can learn to play at the same time their kids are getting interested in it um so that that really Netflix is a is a great point too because oh, it's not Netflix. It wasn't HBO. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's not. You know, it's not just the chess thing that's happening right now. There's a theory that uh, it's actually twofold that Netflix content is driving sales of Barbie for Mattel because uh, there are direct correlations in the how the charts line up between when Barbie content debuts on Netflix and how the sales of the dolls end up going wow. and they've they've done uh, they they did a new digital movie this year and they've also got new episodes of their dream house or life life in the dream house um, and then also on the flip side of that Disney plus 
now has 24-7 availability for all the Disney princess content. And there's been a lot of talk that that is showing a spike for Hasbro in their Disney princess dolls and stuff, as well as the Star Wars things with like the child and the Mandalorian, because Mm -hmm. it's always available. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. It's so great when you come on the show. Everything's happy. You're a real happy guy, and I like talking to you about toys. Yeah, you have, you have the greatest. You have the greatest job on the planet, Jane. Yeah, you are. Thank you. <laughs> well, I I enjoy talking to both of you, and you know, really enjoy this show too, because uh, you know I do have an affection for marketing and retail, so I uh, dig it. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you in all the toy trends this year? toybook.com and thetoyinsider.com. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.